there's a fine line when that stuff comes across as being almost disrespectful or, or can, can offend. And I think there it are... It becomes cliche if, if they're trying too hard without understanding the cultural nuances. Yeah, abs- absolutely. China's working on its Made in China 2025 push. The US is playing with fire, but China has fired Global too. economic powerhouse. Young Chinese people are becoming disillusioned with everyday life. China's mobile payment. Cashless. Cashless society. All use QR codes. China. China. People think I don't like China. I love China. What the? Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of China What's the Future. Uh, we, we've been wanting to do this show for a long time. Um, we want to talk about football fans and how to reach and engage with them. Um, we've been extremely busy in the agency, but we finally managed to get hold of Tom and Sean on the show. Tom is a co-founder of Cumin, and Sean is a registered football agent with the FA, I believe, and now helping us to engage with more football clubs. Do you guys want to introduce yourself to the audience quickly, Tom? Yeah, sure. Cool. Thanks for the intro, Arnold. Um, yeah, so we've been... Uh, working now, I guess, for the last four, four or five years uh, with football clubs in China, um, actually starting with with Manchester United. Um, big fan myself. Um, before I went to China uh, to study Chinese when I was very young, I actually did all of my FA coaching badges. And the purpose was to go to China and, and coach football. Um, that was about, I guess, uh, just a little under 10 Wow, 12 years ago now. Uh, at that time, there were no Chinese owners of uh, any European sports teams. There were no international superstars playing in China in the Football League. Um, and there definitely weren't over 300 million Chinese football fans. Um, I can remember the the facilities and the interest in football um, being being pretty low, actually, when I, when I first got there. So finally, Acumen, I've got now the... Um, ability with my the passion I have for Chinese, um, but also with marketing and football to kind of put those all together. We've been working on some pretty pretty awesome stuff over the last few years for Man United, West Brom, Watford, um, and yeah, hoping to, to kind of share some of those insights today. Thanks, Tom. Sean? Yeah, so I graduated 2015. Um, and since then, sort of the rise of Chinese football has been very apparent. And I've sort of, as Tom, I've used my Mandarin skills. I've used my experience living in China and I've built very strong relationships with the Chinese Super League teams, players, managers, sort of connected the Premier League to the Chinese Super League. And, you know, it's really incredible to, to take, let's take one example, for example, uh, Nico Yanares uh, played at Brentford, played at Arsenal before. He had Chinese grandparents. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, he's become the first neutralized Western player to play for the Chinese national team. So it's like very big news in China. He plays for a team called Beijing Goan. They're a very, very big fan base in China. Mm. And another example, Elkerson, Brazilian player playing in the Chinese Super League. He's been in China five years. So there's a rule if you like live in China five years, he could get Chinese citizenship. So Xi Jinping and the Chinese government are really trying to bolster the Chinese team, getting Nico Yonares, getting Elkerson to try compete for the, to the, for the qualifiers. You know, that's their aim to try be in the World Cup. It's really, really incredible examples. Yeah, I think another good example of uh, how things have kind of shifted over the last few years is, is that that Premier League match ball that we've got a few years back. Um, it's actually signed by Salomon Rondon. Oh, wow. Um, who, was it this season he joined? Yeah. Uh, was it Dalian? Uh, Dalian Yifang, yes. He's actually partnered up with Rafa Benitez. Uh, Rafa, as, as Rafa when they was like, I'm taking Rondon from Newcastle. Yeah. 
And we got this ball from when he was playing West Brom. West Brom, yeah. yeah. Um, just quickly, before we move on to the kind of main content, uh, we want, we'll be going through three specific points. Um, I guess it applies to everything in marketing, but I think for Chinese football fans, it's very relevant because it feels like a lot of times Western clubs haven't really made a specific effort to create content, engage with Chinese fans. A lot of what we've seen over the last couple of years has been very... Uh, it feels like it's just kind of translated. It feels very effortless. So we'll be starting with people, uh, as as with all of our podcasts. So we'll be looking at Chinese football fans specifically. And within this, we won't be looking at three pillars. Um, and they are recognition, entertainment, and, and respect. Um, and then finally, we'll be looking at marketing overall and how we can reach and engage with Chinese football audience. Uh, again, looking at three pillars of reaction, reach, and resonance. Um, before we start, uh, and we normally do this, but I think we've actually thought to do it over the last couple of episodes. Uh, and I know Tom's got some amazing stories, and Sean, you, you as well. So, Tom, do you guys just mind telling our audience about your China stories, kind of how you got involved in China and and I think Tom, specifically for you, what what people around you thought about it when you when you told them that you wanted to learn Chinese? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I do have a lot of stories. That's true. <laughs> um, so I, I was very young, um, probably about thirteen, and um, one of my best friends at school was um, uh, Chinese, and his dad was actually based in Oxford doing a uh, an MBA, um, and I was very fascinated. Uh, and also quite competitive uh, at that age. Um, no. Yeah, well, <laughs> still am. Um, so it's quite competitive that in, in our maths class, this is so nerdy, um, he was actually better than me at maths, like, I guess, uh, using that stereotype of most Asians being better than us at maths. Um, and it's true. Uh, I had a bit of a competition going with him, and I, and I said, look, one day I'll be better at Chinese than you, as, as a joke. Um, and then my mum uh, decided when he, he actually left the UK, because uh, his dad got posted um, to Central America, actually, um, and she signed me up for evening classes to do Chinese. And uh, I kind of fell in love with studying the language and the language um, and studying more about culture. And at that point, I was kind of made that decision. I was going to go to university and do, and do Chinese and, and tallying people. I always enjoyed that kind of look on their face of, of one, you'd get some people in the know because Oxford's, you know, they, there's a kind of good mix of people that understand where the world economy is going and they'll go, oh, wow, you're going to be so rich. Um, just to let, <laughs> Still waiting for that day yeah, to happen. Just, just to let all those people know that told me I was going to be so rich 15 years ago. Well, yeah, delayed gratification, um, I think. <laughs> because that's definitely not happened. Um, and then also people that were you know, very kind of shocked and would say, what are you going to do with Chinese? Open a Chinese takeaway. Um, which again, I, might actually happen. I could, I, I think I run a pretty good takeaway. We, we, we love food concepts <laughs> here, human. <laughs> yeah, so with, with those kind of um, different viewpoints, what, what was kind of very apparent from a young age was that no one really understood China or what China was or, or even Chinese people because there were just these cliches about them being um, operators of uh, fast food places, uh, really good at maths <laughs> or um, or this big power that was coming but no one really kind of knew what to do when it was going to get here. Um, so that was kind of my like introduction to, to kind of uh, yeah learning Chinese. So it's always been fascinating for me to try to, to work in research and insights and then actually marketing because we have the ability now to take a lot of those preconceptions, people's um, 
sort of cultural biases sometimes towards certain things and then ch and change their mindset through through great creative and almost use that as the catalyst for the creative to to kind of change pe the way people feel about China yeah, and the way people think about China absolutely and I think we get on to you know talking about some of the work we've done especially with Man United but you know all all marketing is kind of based on on pulling out those you know human truths cultural truths mm -hmm. and then the, and then intermersing in, in between them the the brand the brand truth or the product truth so um that for me learning about how to do that um for for a Chinese market is yeah it's been been fascinating exciting. thank you tom fascinating you were way ahead of the curve actually <laughs> it was yeah sean to be honest, when I went to China, I thought, you know, I'm the first one going then, you know, to see, some, <laughs> see someone like Tom. Like 10 years. <laughs> it's it's un unbelievable. Like Tom's experience. Well, when I was at university, yeah. I used to look at my lectures and go, I can't believe you lived here in the 70s. Like, <laughs> you know, China in the 70s, China in the 80s, 90s. I mean, it's... Imagine it, going through that as a foreigner. Yeah. That must mm, be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So my first experience of China, I was 15. I went to Beijing. Yeah. <clears throat> it was during the time... China and Africa were really growing together, stronger, you know, for the mining industry and uh, commodities. So I went to Beijing at 15. It was a very intense experience, you know, the only foreigner in China Railway, a very big state-owned company. And that was my first taste of China. It was incredible. And then I decided to do a university. I lived in Ningbo for one year, which was really great. What was that like? Because Ningbo is not, for the benefit of audience, is not like a big tier one, tier two city. Of two hours from Shanghai and it's, you know, it's really quite industrial and nothing really to do there. But that was the best way to do it, to learn the language, to immerse yourself. And, you know, I wouldn't change it now. Of course, it was difficult at the time, but it, it's, you know, it gives you a good, you know, to sacrifice stuff. It puts you in Because you don't step. get the fullback if you live in Shanghai. You, 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 you have the fullback of hanging out with foreigners yeah. and speaking English. I used to yeah. take a train to, uh, to Shanghai to eat hummus. Uh, we lo <laughs> yeah, I love gen hummus. Genuinely, like, because same thing, <laughs> living, living in Nanjing, kind of, you, you only had a certain amount of sort of your Western... Um, uh, comforts yeah. like, especially food comforts yeah. so the big thing that I missed the most oh god I sound so Oxford don't I um, <laughs> was hummus now. <laughs> cheese, <laughs> missing right? hummus cheese yeah cheese well. cheese and hummus and I was very disappointed with the quality of the bacon so if there's any entrepreneurs out there don't open a Chinese marketing agency there's enough of those please focus on making good bacon for the Chinese market because <laughs> it's all American <laughs> streaky stuff <laughs> Um, and yeah, so then I started working in football and, and fashion, you know, I, I saw that sort of the Chinese government had a bit of a change. They said a no to a few industries. They blocked a few. But as we know, the main ones they focus on is football and fashion. Mm. And that's why it's so incredible being a human. You're able to resonate with people and open up Western brands for the fashion and football industry, which is like the two big ones. Xi Jinping and the government want to focus on. So we're really in the right place at the right time. Thank you, Sean. Um, I guess that's a nice place to lead on to talking about Chinese people and Chinese cultures. Um, and that's how we start with most of our podcasts. So first of all, we want to talk about reaction um, to do with Chinese football fans. And Tom, I know you have a lot of interesting insights on this topic. Yeah. So I think an easy analogy to imagine when it comes to, to Chinese I can say sports fans because um, it's, it, I don't think it's just uh, relevant to football, mm -hmm. is that imagine you being stranded on a desert island for, let's say, you know, a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks. You've, you begin to forget um, what food tastes like in a way, right? So you, you, the minute you get off that island and somebody gives you some tomato ketchup, 
it's the saltiest, sweetest thing that you've ever eaten, to and eat it's alone. incredible. I wouldn't have a tomato ketchup but, alone, but but after, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but after, cheers. Without anything, just tomato ketchup. It's <laughs> the worst. <laughs> but after a few weeks of eating, uh, like sweet things, salty things, you begin to become your your palate becomes yeah. acclimatized to that, and you want you know stronger flavors right over over time and that's the thing with with you know china and, and what i see as, as football content it began very much with uh, an emergence of lots of very um fervent football fans interested in the premier league um and a couple of the other big leagues syria are in there from from i think they're the first actually to broadcast in china um bundesliga and and there became you know some very very strong overseas football fans you know, not just in China, but across across the world, across Asia. This isn't just a, a, a thing, a problem just for China. So then with all of this sort of big fan bases, it was very important for uh, clubs to begin to engage with those fan bases because they were driving a lot of the commerciality, uh, commercial aspects of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way to approach that content was, well, why don't we just localize it for the Chinese market, i.e. translate it or localize it for Indonesia and we'll just translate it. And so the clubs began to just translate content. Um, and that was fine for a certain period of time. Everyone was like, oh, wow, yeah, we're finally being appreciated. There's content in our in our language. And then from there evolved, um, I guess, a media industry, a whole media industry around sports. Um, and again, not a sophisticated industry, relatively new one. And... At the same time, China went through this huge rise in sort of digital platforms, digital engagements. So a lot of the time, people that were translating this content were playing catch up of how to actually engage with people on the channels, but they were just merely distributing content onto these channels. And that content, to a point, just became very stale um, and, and quite bland. So then Chinese football fans wanted something more, so they started to look in other places and then you had the emergence of, of other platforms like football focused platforms um i mean sean i know you use dong cho d for example um and then what's ne- we're now at the point where all of these fans in china are looking for you know ways that clubs or uh, football brands are producing content that they feel is actually i guess uh, honest and authentic and that's where we, I guess, we can kind of look at these three aspects of sort of um, reach, resonance, um, and and how we're actually showing respect to a Chinese fan, how we're entertaining a Chinese fan, uh, and how we're like recognizing the Chinese fan. Mm-hmm. So, like examples where you know you'll have a specific Chinese-focused competition, you're you're clearly demonstrating that you you're recognizing that there are fans in China. Um, for what they would want. For know? what they would want. Mm. So you might have like a uh, Man United have a partnership with Luhan, the Chinese celebrity. So um, those kind of things are showing. Actually, we know we're engaging in the Chinese market. We we have these Chinese brand ambassadors. You could win signed Man United shirts, for example, like the one on the wall we've got. Um, and all of that is showing that we're doing things actually for, for a Chinese fan. Um, but sometimes there's a fine line when that stuff comes across as being almost um disrespectful or, or can can offend and i think there it are it becomes cliche if, if they're trying too hard without understanding the cultural nuances yeah ab- absolutely and then they have i mean the recent tour so this summer was like the it was crazy there were so many western football clubs actually in in china um, the premier league asia trophy yeah um and like everyone had their own 
activities and, and, and marketing activities going on. And there was actually a little bit of backlash towards Manchester City, although they, they, they tend to do some really nice content. I've seen some really great um, content they put out. They actually, um, there were a few things where just got picked up by media and created stories that they're actually disrespecting Chinese fans for not being in certain places long enough or not engaging enough on the ground. And I think everyone in China now recognizes that they, they are they are effectively um, being seen by Western clubs as, as you know, as pound signs. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's always the exchange you get between brands and, and, and consumers. Um, but when it becomes too overt, it becomes disrespectful. And that's when, if you're not on the right side of that line, you can, it's definitely in China where nationalism is so strong, you can offend quite, quite easily. Um, and especially the fans that they have no patience, really. I mean, you see in the Chinese Super League managers, if they don't win three games, they're out. You, wow. You saw the Watford manager that was just appointed, uh, Flores. He was in Shanghai Shenhua. Uh, they signed Egalo because him and Egalo were at Watford together before, so they thought it's a good idea. Shanghai Shenhua, one of the biggest teams in China, very followed, huge fan base. He lost about three, four games. He's out. He's back at Watford now. Uh, Pellegrini, the same. Hebe China Fortune fired. Chris Coleman, Hebe China Fortune, few games fired. Um, you know, it's it, the the fans there. You need to show you're invested in them. You know, it's the same with players, managers, and teams. Because if you're not, like Carlos Tevez went there, thought it was like dollar signs, kicked out. Gus Poya, the same, you know. If you want to have long-term success in China with any business players, you have to invest in it. You know, you have to immerse yourself. It's almost, that's kind of like, again, we've said this before. It's, I think it's, that's, that's probably the downside of the fact that China has grown so far socioeconomically over the last kind of few decades, that people are just less patient. Like they want, there's fast adaptation, which is great for technology, for innovation. But it also means people get onto things and kind of like get disinterested very quickly as well. So you've got to be very impactful, very explosive as, as, as we've done with a lot of our campaigns for Man United. Okay, so there are essentially three things um, when it comes to Chinese football fans. And again, Tom, I know you talk about this a lot. Um, they are reach resonance and reaction. Do you want to give our audience a quick uh, explanation of what you mean by these three points? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of the time when I um, go to football clubs and I, I kind of talk to them about um, China marketing strategy, uh, first one is, is how do you get as many people in China to, to be aware of your content or of your brand? Um, and largely, the majority of the hardcore football fans know every club in the in the Premier League because you know, they're, they're proper you know, uh, true true fans of the of the Premier League. So um, a lot of the time, it's just about creating those platforms and putting ourselves out there. Um, but because of the shape of a lot of these platforms now, how they've moved from organic to, to paid, actually getting reach can um, on certain platforms can be quite tough. On other platforms, it's super easy, uh, as 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 we know from from some of the campaigns that we've done. So, over in when he said that, by the way. So over the years, I think we've we've done a lot of work whenever we've run campaigns, and we've been very fortunate enough to work with um, clubs like United that have the biggest reach in China. Uh, it's phenomenal. I think nine million um, fans on on Sina Weibo. Um, and they they actually you know uh, as being reports they have a hundred million plus fans in in China. So whenever there's a campaign, it, 
automatically you think oh it's going to get going to get huge reach but actually it, it still needs a lot of activity to kind of get it out there so there are tactics that, that can be deployed to, to achieve that reach now there's no point in spending money or time or investment trying to put yourself out there and reach fans unless what you're going to say is going to really move them to do the thing you want them to do and that's where you have resonance and reaction so resonance is very much now there's there's two types of examples I, I like to give there's, there's kind of content that um that could kind of people will engage with but it doesn't actually resonate them to to kind of do something so an, an example might be and this is where people think that um in china it's, it's very easy to create chinese content so for Chinese New Year, let's just go and film like the players doing some Chinese calligraphy, or um, you know, dre- dress them up in some traditional Chinese outfits and get them to sit around a table eating Chinese New Year dinner. Like a lot of that stuff, frankly, is is, is you know verging on that side of being offensive, a little bit um, Orientalist. And it comes from a good place, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The people go into it going, "Oh, yeah, we're going to create mm. this Chinese content." You go to China. People don't wear traditional Chinese outfits like walking around the street. Uh, and I, when I was giving this talk in Beijing, I gave an example to um, there was a guy there from from Ajax, and I said to him, "You getting the Ajax players to dress up in traditional Chinese outfits and speak Chinese is like if I signed for Ajax and rocked up to the to the um, press interview wearing clogs." With some tulips <laughs> and speaking a little bit like this, you know, uh, people would no, go. Not Al Pacino. What? <laughs> That's definitely not Al Pacino. <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> that was good. I was doing my Steve, Steve, Steve McLaren. Um, so people, would, people would say, oh, you know, what the, what the hell? Right? It's, yeah, you're it's, taking it's, the piss. It's, yeah, it's like it's racist uh, stereotypes, and and so. Um, what actually people mean is there's, there's rele- that feels relevant kind of is it's Chinese and you know it's got it's got some calligraphy on it and all that um, you know red packets all that kind of thing but actually does it resonate with people and that's when it's like drilling into the to the actual the cultures and it doesn't need to necessarily be um, you know super um, sort of like niche subcultural kind of things um, but actually in China there's it's very big areas of of uh of interest so like we know like gaming for example is a big one um rap music has become very like very big in china which is you know doing things in those spaces are ways that you can create content authentic content that kind of it's, resonates people it's really interesting you say that it's, it almost feels like it's it's almost like it's it's, it's it's obvious right so instead of like going straight in for the stereotypes you, you actually look at what people are interested what their vertical interests are like it's 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 basic marketing everywhere and we said it's a lot between ourselves as well we feel like like the stuff you were saying it, it's true it's like dressing up in traditional chinese outfits speaking chinese these things are relevant to the chinese audience but in today's marketing it almost feels like being relevant is a lazy version of creating something that genuinely resonates and feels that like it comes from within the community rather than the brand just talking at the audience it's yeah. speaking to. I mean, you could take uh, Adidas football, right? As a, as a big example, Adidas have a certain number of clubs that they invest a lot of money into and, and, and use the brand of these clubs to help propel the brand of Adidas football. Um, and football is now the biggest market um, sorry, China is now the biggest market for football in the world, and Adidas football is is that's a key market for them. So um, Sean's a big Arsenal fan, um, and there was a launch campaign um, that went out in the summer. Fantastic uh, intro video using um, like London 
icons, celebrities, big Arsenal fans, to kind of really build that brand story of Arsenal as this um, London-based club and London being this this place of energy, um, of uh, inclusivity. Um, and they, those are kind of values that Adidas Football wanted to kind of show, show the world. But because all the icons in there were very much known and recognized by people in the UK, um, it would miss the mark internationally because people won't know who, who some of these like grime artists are or things like that. Mm. So actually they, because China is their biggest market, that piece of content just won't work for China and they can't just, you know, subtitle it in Chinese. Funny enough that there was a bit of Chinese in it, like when Tony Adams was speaking in Chinese, but... Exactly, yeah. yeah. So they, 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 they knew, but... They knew and they're trying to feed it in and, and, and subsequently they're going to need to do a lot more to, to kind of build build those connections. And, and, you they know. feel like an afterthought. They were trying to wedge something in for the Chinese audience yeah. rather than something that... Yeah, China would have been on the brief, on the agency yeah. brief. Um, and and they were just like, let's get someone speaking Chinese. Yeah, and there's there's no... <laughs> yeah, and I think that's an example of their, you know, they're, they're kind of recognizing, they're showing a bit of respect to the Chinese yeah. audience by not ignoring them. So they did all the right things. And, and I, I thought it was a great company. But long term, they just need to build on, on, on that and, and kind of create those pillars. Um, and that will get the reaction and and the the one thing that you as a when you're doing the strategy of the club is what do you want that reaction to be and so one of the key things that we did with united was building out their marketable record database their crm um because that's where you get a lot of value as a club um it's how many people that you have sort of um in your in your database that you can then go to sponsors and say how how can i as a sponsor work on my marketing um campaigns in collaboration with the club and activate on with your audience to sell my product and in in china i guess and everywhere now there's that difficulty in the sports sponsorship market where people are looking at at, um the the reach that they can get from sponsoring a football club and the cost of doing that and the reach that they could get if they took that same amount of money and spent it on programmatic Mm -hmm. advertising they're going to get more roi probably on programmatic in terms of short-term um, conversions and a lot of time because of the length that which Chinese CMOs stay in their jobs short term is definitely on top of their, their priority list certainly more 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 attributable and trackable ROI yeah but then I guess the flip side is that long term you're, you're, you should be brand building and that's the thing I think where there's what well, we've we're kind of converging now in this world of of sports marketing or football marketing which is only really become a little bit more sophisticated in the last you know, three or four years, um, certainly in the West. Then you've got Chinese marketing, which again, we, we believe is not as sophisticated as, as, as it could be. And, and it's, it's still uh, under development. Um, and then there's all the issues that happen within Chinese marketing. Um, and that's kind of like converging now on where everybody's recognizing the importance of China and they know they need to, to get these reactions um, to build these databases, to, to build value, to build their commerciality. Um, but at the same time, the companies that can provide them with those services have not been doing that work for very long. Um, and a, from my view, are just taking a very simplistic approach to doing marketing, which is translation or um, just being a little bit, I guess, it's not, it's not laziness. It's just doing, safe, 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 right? safe and doing things in a way that they think will get likes or followers um so 
I, I we talked a bit about content that we we've started looking at some of the clubs and Premier League clubs in the UK and and some of it reminds us of Soccer AM um, ten years ago. Um, you know, ladies in short skirts presenting TV shows. I mean, telling cheesy jokes. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, like that 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 is just so far beyond where we've we've come as a mm. um, you know. As, as, I, I think the UK is kind of leading a lot of this, you know, equality and, and things. But That's probably largely because they're still, uh, you said earlier, they're still relatively immature in the way that they produce this content and the, the, the way that they just execute marketing in general, right? What you said earlier, it was like what we did in UK 10 years ago. So do you think in 10 years time or maybe even faster because they can learn from the benefit of the experience of UK marketers that, Chinese football marketing or sports marketing in general evolve out of that very quickly yeah I, I think it comes down to really having a good client mm. if I'm if I'm completely honest because the best work that we've done as a business has largely been because the clients want to do that work yeah I agree 100%. like we've had lots of football briefs over the years which have just kind of you know made me despair a little bit about the future because they're just take this, localize it. Like it's not a that's not a marketing brief. That's that's a translation. Use a translation company. Yeah. You don't don't go to a marketing agency, right? So if 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 they come and say I want to build a brand, I mean the brief that we had from from Watford, one of the best briefs. One so of the best briefs. Honestly, yeah. I was smiling for like days when we got that brief because it's like oh, I get it. And it was so exciting for us to be able to answer a brief like that. It yeah, because perfectly with humor. Yeah. You know, they want to build themselves as an entertainment brand, and and they a brand. I mean, the fact that brand is even in the brief is is fantastic. So when um, in China, a lot of the the pressure we know comes from from marketing directors or marketing managers, and it's it's about metrics, about numbers, which has then led to all the the fake engagements, the fake likes, and and yes, that's that's rife in the football world as well. Um, but until those marketing managers or marketing directors, both on the Chinese side and on club side, mm. say we want to actually see reaction at the end in terms of building a database we want to see people in, engaging with that content and and we want to create content that moves people beyond just getting the cheap follow followers and the cheap likes but because at the moment all sponsorship is kind of measured on how many social media followers do i have and we're going through this whole thing in the west where we're like actually doesn't matter how many instagram followers you have um whereas you know in china everyone's still trying to measure themselves on just pure numbers. Yeah, of exactly. It's more about numbers. how many people you've actually built a meaningful relationship with rather than just how many people that are following you. Yeah. Um, which, and, and we've had experience of that previously working with a club uh, where they would have huge amount of followers, but literally hardly any of them would actually interact when we would have a CIM activation. Yeah, that was quite interesting because we did a lot of the data analytics, data tracking. Yeah. Um, and we measured which platforms worked well and which ones didn't. Um, and, and really, I think the platforms that are going to work best and can demonstrate commercial return are some of the newer ones. Um, like, I mean, we were on Douyin the other day and, and I'm not like, it's just you know, going to keep uh, promoting Douyin all the time. But they, they've kind of been working on that ecosystem where it goes from something that's, that's quite um, engaging in terms of a, a creative format to suddenly then you can go and, and click through and be instantly in an e-commerce site. Um, and it's it's a much smoother journey than let's say a Weibo journey, which is still feels they they feel a little bit lost about what content they're kind of providing their audience. Um, and you still have to pay to play to kind of 
you know be targeted right yeah, I mean, by we, that and oh, Weibo, Weibo like Instagram and Facebook is a platform where you can't get followers you can't get you can't get reach anymore outside your followers very difficult organically whereas Douyin is a platform where you can still yeah. relatively easily get reach outside of your following base essentially yeah. I think this is a really good point in time for you to summarize maybe for our audience try and in under two minutes Tom um uh, what you said about reach, resonance, reaction, because I think it's really interesting um, for our listeners. Yeah, so reach is the ability for a football club to get as many eyeballs on their content as possible. And the challenges within that are the types of platforms that you set yourselves up on, um, how much exposure you can get through organic growth um, and where you can to earn that growth and where, and where you have to actually pay to play. Um, and I would say there's three platforms that you need to primarily look at as, as your sort of, uh, open top of the funnel, uh, and getting as much awareness. And that would be, um, Douyin, Weibo and WeChat. In uh, that order? Probably. Yeah, definitely in that order in terms of uh, as maximum reach. Um, and then, uh, in terms of getting that sort of resonance, it's about focusing on, on content that's built, um, on understanding the the consumer truths uh what's happening in the in the market with the consumers and the, the the fans what do they really want what kind of content do they they want to consume understanding culturally what's happening in china what are the um interest pillars so whether it's music uh whether it's um fashion design um trying to move football into other territories because chinese football fans are not like us in the west they, they, they have other interest they consume other media and um then creating content that um is actually you know not trying to get cheap likes but actually kind of creating emotional connection and is built on the brand ethos of that particular club mm -hmm. uh, and that then should see reaction at the end and you want to basically be measuring that reaction i think from a commercial point of view in terms of um, sales subscription to you know, fan clubs, um, looking at uh, CRM records that you can then later monetize. Um, and that will be able to create a nice funnel where you're actually um, measuring your, your ROI. Thank you very much, Tom. That was really insightful. And I think it's a really good summary of the three points that we were discussing earlier about how the best ways to reach and engage with Chinese football fans. Uh, you mentioned briefly earlier about our Man United campaign. I uh, think on top of the Watford brief, that was another example of a fantastic brief from a client which enabled great work. Could you give our audience a quick summary of the work and what we did there? Yeah, sure. Um, so for some time, the uh, the CRM team at United um, had been wanting to grow the marketable record database in China. Um, and the difficulty had come from the fact that they often... Um, these these teams they use these apps that they distribute on through these channels that effectively are some like gamified apps where you can go and you can um you know engage with like a little quiz and then you have the potential to win a, a signed shirt um but the exchange is always your your marketable record um now in china they these apps that they were using in the west on facebook twitter instagram they just didn't work because there wasn't an equivalent um so our original brief for united was actually to build build on these applications but then after distributing these for the platforms what we found was we were just um collecting the same records that we'd already got so it became very saturated so we needed to go and get new marketable records um and our strategy to do that was to move away from just purely going after 
a football audience. Um, and United kind of gave us the, the the kind of brief to to tap into what is the cultural insight right now in China and to what young people um, are, are doing around consuming football. And what we, we kind of looked at is obviously late at night. It's, it's largely when the Premier League is, is kind of watched in China. Or, you know, if you're uh, you know, watching a Champions League match, it'll be 3 a.m. Um, and, uh, and so what were young Chinese people doing at the same time? We found out that actually while watching football, they were also gaming. And, um, you know, gaming is an incredible phenomenon in China. When I think when we think of gaming, we think of, you know, the guys at home on the Playstations and things. But in China, like, it's it's almost organized a lot of the time into these huge internet cafes, um, which I used to love going to. When I yeah, lived in China. me too. I remember those. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, and, uh, and they would be there, you know, uh, instant messaging, um, gaming, reading manga, but then also watching football and, and, and talking about football with their friends. So we were like, if we want to truly show uh, the Chinese audience that how much we respect them, why don't we create something made for them? It's made for China, um, but also something that was, I guess, made made for made for social um, in a in a format that Chinese people would love. And so we kind of honed in on this this kind of concept um of of manga so we wanted to create a, an authentic piece of manga uh for the chinese audience um that kind of created this story that we knew would resonate with them um so we actually tapped into a lot of the insights around uh, a lot of the pressures that people social economic you know we talk about the cultural transformation mm-hmm. cultural transformation is fantastic for china as a whole but there's a lot of people that get left behind in that in that growth and a lot of uh, you know disenfranchised youth um which is you know, feels very relevant to the UK population at the moment, um, and and so we wanted to create a story that would connect with them, um, but also a, a, one of the great parts of Manchester United as a club is they've always got this sort of like never say die ethos to everything that they have in the, in the club. You know, um, they've been through some pretty you know, traumatic and, and horrific things in their history, but they've still come through it at the end um and, and you know fighting to, to to the end of the um matches is kind of a representation on the pitch of, of what the club has as its as its kind of core ethos um you know um so we wanted to bring that through in this story and again we want, didn't want to try to get our guys in the office and necessarily um try to create something that didn't feel authentic so we went out there we found writers and um, manga artists from china and we crafted this this story um that you know started off uh i think was going to be quite simple uh, and short but became something that was almost a passion project for us um and there were you know at the end thousands of frames of animation um and at the end we had this kind of great piece of um interactive sort of data capture where it was a sort of gamified story that had different routes depending on what outcomes or what options you chose at various points of the story um and then uh, integrated data capture at the beginning in a kind of like a a staggered way which then impacted some of the the parts of the story as well um but at the end of it we had this incredible piece of content but we still needed to get it out there yeah because you can't just put it on the main united channels and, and hope it's going to get engagement because um we tried that, that we weren't getting engagement really no we, we weren't getting engagement engagement we would have wanted on on those channels um so we we then had to kind of reach out to the other verticals which are more than happy 
to kind of uh, promote this stuff because they'd never seen anything like it before. To them, it was, you know, it was very original. It was actually manga content that would have been um, almost recognized and applauded by the hardcore manga people. So we actually had audiences that were saying, this is a great piece of manga, not this is a great piece of Man United content. So they were saying it's a great piece of manga. Then we would go to the football fans, any football fan in China, and they would say, this is a great piece of football content. And then we had the Man United fans that would say, it's a great piece of Man United content. So initially, although we were only talking in a 2A audience that was Man United based, we then were able to talk to all football fans and then all manga fans, which opened up a, a huge audience base to us. And um, we were very fortunate that we were kind of given the remit to do that. Um, and we also, yeah, we, we won a lot of uh, applauds and got some awards. You were nominated for, for about four or five different awards. The Beamer most only recently, one, no? one so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. I just want to quickly kind of interject and summarize a little bit because we get a lot of questions where. Uh, people asking us, how do we succeed as a brand in China? And specifically for football, this is pro this probably applies for pretty much every industry, but I think specifically for football, just because, as you were saying earlier, a lot of the content seems very sterile or very translated, uh, almost kind of like a little bit, it's not exciting, right? It's not exciting stuff, no. where some of the other industries have started doing more exciting stuff. So I think for us to succeed as a football club. And again, this probably applies to everything that you really need to start with the creative first. And I think in this age of data-driven marketing, a lot of times that people forget the people, the culture that lead onto the insights, which then creates great creative is more important than anything else. Like you said earlier, because our creative tapped into the verticals of manga and gaming, we were able to recruit fans from those verticals without just relying on hardcore pure football fans. And then once you have the creative, you interlace, you go back to the technology, you go back to the, ins you go back to the technology, you go back to the CRM, then you can interlace the data capture and the CRM elements back into the creative. And it feels more natural, it feels less forced. Um, I think that's, if you take anything away, that's one of the points um, that you should really think about as a football club when you're entering China. Um, so we... For the May United campaign, uh, a lot of our target audience were the kind of Chinese youth, millennials and Gen Z. Uh, and that's a big growing football audience in China. Um, a lot of clubs like Watford have recognized that and they are actively trying to engage with that audience. Um, Sean, you've been in China for, uh, for, for quite a long time and you're very familiar with the football industry and the football fans. Do you think you give us a introduction of the Gen Z and millennial audience in China and what you think they're kind of, um, how do you think, how do you think they engage with Western football clubs on what platforms they normally watch football uh, and how, how do they consume media in relation to football? Yeah, I just want to first say like working at Cumin, you know, I joined in, in June and it's a perfect place to understand, as you said, not just football fans because the people we target in the football teams or the fashion industries it's the same gen z millennial uh, chinese demographic mm, and that's a good point and that's the key to target you know for example campaigns we've done for harrods or heathrow or manchester united it's that same group of people as you said china's changing very fast so it's those people we need to capture um that's a good point and in terms of football the, the platforms uh, i love using is dong chodi it actually competes and it betters Western platforms. It's so interactive, the fan community, the fan forums, the live match updates. It's like, 
it's incredible how in tune it is, you know. So Chinese, they're really, really increasingly getting better. Also, Douyin, you talked a lot about uh, the short video, <laughs> the short video platforms. It's incredible. It's so interactive. Um, so it's re it's really amazing. And the Gen Z to come back to. Uh, we, we looked at for the Watford uh, proposal we did and all the research we, we did into that. Um, it's incredible how from football you can cross, you know, you can do cross industry collaboration. So it might be a football brand, but we can go into fashion. We can go into rap culture, mm -hmm. as Tom said. Um, it's incredible how the market in China is changing. And it's really, it's important to, to capitalize on that. You know, most brands just think of China as a whole. Oh, we need to go to China, but you need to you need to look deeper than that. It's the fact that you have to go a lot deeper. I think gives you the opportunity to be more brave. And maybe we were saying earlier about how like clubs tend to be safer when they go into China, but when they should really do the complete opposite, right? Yeah. They could be a lot more braver because. We've seen collaborations, it was just last year, New York Fashion Week, between beer brands and fashion brands. Like, that never happens in the West, but it happens in China. So and I think... Our, our Shanghai team went to that Yohood uh, event yeah, in Shanghai. exactly, which is... That's uh, incredible. Just for the benefit of the audience, maybe you can introduce quickly what Yohood is. Yohood is basically uh, all different brands going there to to uh, resonate with the Gen Z population. Uh, so you have rap, you have uh, streetwear, you have um, food, cool, alcohol. Yeah, cool, cool tea places, bubble, bubble teas, markets exploding in China. Um, so Actually, yeah. if you watch our vlog, uh, for the people listening, the, a lot of the intro clips are from your hood. Watch the vlog. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you actually think that, um, I guess with the rise and popularity of things like rap music, um, streetwear culture, um, so you have the sneaker industry and stuff blowing up now in China, that that will have uh, a knock-on effect of the growth of, of certain sports and sports in China? Yeah, for example, you know, basketball is the biggest in China. Uh, it trumps football by, by a lot of fans, doesn't it, basketball? So, you know, basketball is more easily relatable to streetwear mm -hmm. and that sort of rap culture. But I think football will increasingly become that. And the one thing I want to touch on, because we, we talk about this in all our proposals, is, is KOLs, uh, key opinion leaders. And it's how at Cumin, because we have offices in Shanghai and in London, we don't just pick up the first influencer. Oh, they've got 100,000 followers. Let's use them. What we do at Cumin is we find people who are living that life, you know, so that they can easily resonate with the Chinese people. Because in China, KOLs are followed like religiously for their content. So we need to be able to, when we do a proposal for Watford or Harrods or whoever the client is, pick the right person for the job. We don't want to just get past uh, someone with, that doesn't, doesn't matter about the followers, it matters yeah. who they are. Well, authenticity in um, in the football industry is super important. Yeah, because it's, you'll it's, get found out. Yeah, you'll get found out, right? You can't, you can't say, oh, I'm, I'm a fan of this club and be paid to say that, which is like, most of the KOL industry <laughs> feels like point, it's just like hey he takes some money and say it's crazy you, how you naive these brands are what are these big brands that have been called out in China a lot of them it's like you can say if you're if you're if you're like a if you're like handbag brand you can pay influence to say this is my favorite handbag then you'll say the next week this is my my other favorite handbag you can't say you can't do that with football no you can't be like yeah. this is my favorite club people are like, what <laughs> you, you clearly are not a football person you're not a so fan. you lose you lose, yeah you lose all credibility and and so actually you have to kind of like that's when I think crossing into other verticals um is it, it becomes less about i'm a fan of the club more i'm a fan of the brand of that club like i'm a more of a fan of what they stand the for ethos, as you said ethos, yeah as opposed to you know i 
I know I can name the entire like starting eleven of of uh, of this particular club. Like, you know, that's often the measure of what's a kind of like a proper fan or a true fan. But then, for a lot of these clubs, if they're looking at it from a commerciality point of view, then you need to think of it as a brand and and less about I'm trying to build. Um, as many fans in China that can name my starting eleven. Hundred percent. You're, you're not. You you just want you, what you want people to do is say, I know that name of that brand or that company, and I I love what they do, and I would subscribe to seeing their content or engaging with them, and then you can take that and go to a sponsor and say, well, look, people people love and respect us in China, for, and and we have good good reach and engagement. Why don't we, you know, why don't you become a sponsor and we can engage on awesome content that's going to deliver your real brand message. And for a football club, am I right in thinking then that the end goal, essentially, as a commercial business, is to get more sponsors to work with them, and it doesn't matter too much whether they are hardcore football fans or they are fans of the brand and what they stand for as a club. Of course, you want people through your doors. You know, you you want you want to sell tickets to games. You know, that, yeah. that's what. But you But Chinese want. fans can't do that anyway. Yeah, of course. Be yeah. Here. Of course, yeah. So. Yeah. It is that it's building the brand, well, sponsorships, you know, preseason tours. Sports. You know? They we used to always say that sports sports marketing was the easiest things to do because the sports fan is the most brand loyal fan you're gonna get. Yeah. Um, but that I, I think that applies, you know, to that um, very very core audience. You know, the, the kind of hardcore guys. And like like Sean said, you know, there are commercial aspects about gate receipts and ticket receipts, but that's more your UK based audience. You're gonna get a bit of a transient kind of population with tourists and things coming over here. But then it's about merchandising, uh, shirt sales, um, you know, merchandise products, uh, which is a good revenue stream. But then it's it's TV rights is where the big money comes from, um, and people are only going to want to watch largely the big the big games and the big clubs because these guys have the big players, the big stars. Um, so for everybody else, the majority of their money is going to come from from sponsorships and partnerships. Uh, and that's what's going to keep them kind of going. Everybody is going to already get the broadcast money because the deals are being done by the the, the broadcast authorities and things like that. So, so essentially, outside the captured audience of the hardcore fans, it really the brand really does matter because that's where they get their merchandise, where they get sponsorship deals, absolutely. and all the peripheral revenue that a club would need. Um, I think it'll be good to lead on to a little bit and, and go back. I guess talk a little bit more about Chinese people and the fans. And again, Tom, you you talk about the three pillars a lot uh, at Cumin here. So uh, those are recognition, entertainment, and respect. Maybe you can just expand on that again for our audience um, and and how we approach that uh, in terms of Chinese fans. Yeah. Um, so recognition would be if I'm a club, we're basically communicating to them that. Um, you recognize that yes they're a, they're a Chinese football fan um, that they love football uh, that you know they're they're passionate about the game but they're different but to they're western di- fans but they're but they're different and they express they express themselves slightly differently um, so a good example of uh, recognition would be I we got I got an email this morning from the the French Federation um, which was wishing me a happy moon uh uh, Mid Autumn Festival, um, and that was me getting the recognition. Uh, you know, I was just like, oh, you know, I'm Chinese. Uh, I, 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 I'm on the mailing list because I signed up when I was in China um, when they were doing a, a campaign with the with the World Cup, and you know, they were like, okay. Well, we're recognizing that you're a Chinese fan, so we're going to send you something for Mid Autumn Festival. I think I know right? where you're going with this, <laughs> right? In terms of entertainment, 
Like, it was the worst image I've ever seen. We're going to um, actually put the image up on the screen. So yeah. those who are watching can have a quick look you, at you, it. You can, take, you can take a good look. It's got the two stars of the two World Cups well done that, um, <laughs> that France have won. Um, but there, it was almost... I just, I just recall there was a QR code dumped in the corner and a logo, and then it could have been any, any sort of image that you download from, from Shutterstock. Um, so it was... Um, you know that that's not it's not an entertaining piece of content. Pillar, hit the first not pillar. Hit the first pillar. Recog- they they recognise you know ah uh, yeah the French Federation have recognised that people in China you know like football and a lot of people there like French football and they would want to subscribe to getting content. So um, then the entertainment pillar of it was you have to recognise that Chinese people want to be entertained in a different way, mm. and that might not be a Sky Sports news type format it might not be a um a match of the day type format right so a lot of the time the content that gets created by a lot of people is, is either two broadcasts which is made for broadcasts it's definitely not made for social where the majority of chinese people want to be entertained in short form you know quick innovative formats um but then also within that the the, the types of things that they're saying are just not it's not that interesting. They're just not that entertaining. It's kind of boring. Um, I, I don't really, you know, want to see um, uh, somebody doing calligraphy, like ever in my life, ever again, right? <laughs> Unless it's, you it's are just... a calligraphy master and Chinese. Even then, I will probably still find it, it goes over my head, right? But that, that is the default <laughs> thing of, oh, yeah, that's, it's respectful and entertaining. Um, it's not entertaining and it's, it, I, don't, I don't know why it would be respectful. Um, and then the respect is the last one. So the... You almost got to show the uh, show the Chinese fan that um, just because you're doing things in a Chinese way, just because I'm putting my Chinese subtitles on it or I'm in Chinese text on it, that that is not respect. Respect is understanding um, what those people want, taking the time to engage with them a little bit more, even on a dialogue perspective or some community management through some social channels. Or you just show that you're there, you're listening, you're you're, you're hearing the audience, but then you're also creating content for them. So for me, one of the key things um, to to deliver good sports marketing in China is is based around recognition, entertainment, and then respect. So with recognition, it's about recognizing that Chinese fans are super dedicated to the teams that they follow, that they are um, you know really interested in understanding more than just superficial content that's often out there, and and drilling really into kind of like the detail, um, and then building content formats that are local to um to china so looking at the different channels that they're on um but also the the types of uh, content pillars around just football and creating content then that crosses across um spreads across all of those and naturally then from that you'll get respect from the chinese fan because you're creating content that is made for them it's made for their channels um, and it will allow you to then resonate with them uh, and, and drive some reaction. That's great. Thank you very much, Tom. And I think that's a great point to wrap up on. Uh, I think this has been a very informative episode. And thank you very much, Sean and Tom, for coming on the show. And we'll have you back sooner than you'd like. Yeah, cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Arnold.